to the Lord. Amen. He's so good to us. And this morning as we think about the promises of God, we're going to look in His Word and uh, we're going to stand on those promises and we're going to rejoice in the Lord this morning. Um, And we're going to, I hope, have a very serious come to Jesus moment here where we really think about revival and what is it who needs it right Um, and may the Lord speak to us in a powerful way this morning I want us to uh, find the Old Testament uh, book of Psalms there and go to Psalm 85 and uh, from there we will kind of use that as our uh, platform as we jump into this this morning, and I'm preaching on the subject of past tense Christianity. Past tense Christianity. So Psalm 85, and if you would, let's stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let us read from verse 1 through verse 6, beginning in verse 1 as you follow along there in your copy of the Word of God. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins, Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. And cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Father, thank you for your word. And thank you as we look in your word this morning. God, we can look in the Old Testament. We can look in the New Testament. We can look into the history of our culture, and we can see times in which, Lord, you have abundantly shed this spirit of revival on your people. God, we stand in need of that today. God, help us to humble ourselves this morning and with earnest and sincerity seek that, Lord, you would revive us, that you would revive me. God, you would have a work, a new work, a fresh work in our lives. God, I pray this morning that, Lord, you'd help us to concentrate, that we would focus, young or old, that we would set our minds and our hearts upon you this morning. And God, you would speak to our hearts, in our spirit this morning, what you would have us to understand. And God, give us the strength and the faith to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, This is not about me or us. This is about you. But Lord, we want to lift you up today. Hide me, God, behind the cross. May you be praised and lifted up, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, we could go on as we read Psalm 85 there. 
The question is obviously asked there in verse 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? But the psalmist also in verse 7 asks, you know, God, show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Verse 8, I will hear what God, and this is, I think sometimes this is the disconnect. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. I, I, I think what a beautiful picture of the question. Lord, will you not revive us? And then understand that there is a duty upon the people of God to do something with what God does. I think all my life, and I have, I have been a part of some re- revival meetings where People were saved. I felt a powerful spirit of God. But I, I, I've never experienced those types of revivals of the old where it literally shook communities or nations. I, man, I, I've read about them. And in my heart, I, I want to experience that. And so, you know... If, if I haven't experienced that, then sometimes you just look in the mirror and you, and you want to ask the question, God, why? Why? Why are, why are we not experiencing that? And this morning, as I, I work through this passage and some other passages of Scripture, more than anything, I'm just praying that we would have a real come to Jesus moment in our heart of hearts. Not, not, not with me, but I mean between you and the Lord. What is revival? As a matter of fact, if, if, if you have something to write on and you know you got a place in your Bible, maybe a little area, write that question down. What is revival? And maybe... Maybe even, you know, if in, in time, maybe you write down maybe what you feel the Lord is speaking to you about what revival is. But I've, I've not met a person yet who wouldn't agree that we need revival. But I don't know that we really understand what that is. And I'm, I'm saying this, asking myself this question. Rhetorically, as I'm going through this, what is what really is revival? Because I think sometimes, and I think about in Southern Baptist culture, in every in every revival meeting I've been in, at the end of the day, what we were most concerned with, and if you're in the evangelism ministry, this is what it always boiled down to to me. It was how many decisions, we, we call them decisions, were made. And, 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 and it probably at one time was how many professions of faith, but then it just became, Eric, how many decisions, you know? 
I chose to eat all my vegetables this week. I mean, it just, it just got to be so generic that we wanted to say something, and we wouldn't say what it was, but we'd say we had so-and-so here, the, the evangelist, and we had 14 decisions that were made for Jesus about something. I remember as a youth pastor, those times when we would go to youth evangelism conference, and the last one that I went to up there in Macon, I just said to myself, I'm never coming back to this. Because in the midst of, 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 a, of a coliseum full of young people that were there listening to a, a man sincerely share the Word of God and their need for salvation, there were, there were vendors walking up and down the aisles selling blinking crosses and flashing lights. This, this, is, our, this is our folk. And I, I believe in policing our own people. I believe in the, I, I believe in the truth. And, and, and the truth is an equal opportunity offender. And, and when, it, when, it, when it rubs against my groupies and when it rubs against my people, it just does. And I remember telling some of my young people that night, I said, folks, there's a lot of people leaving here tonight and they got a blinking cross in their hand but they don't know anything about the man that died on that cross. And, and the youth group that I brought up there with me, they, I didn't let them get the blinking cross. I told them, you won't get the blinking cross. You're just not going to do that. We're going to get pizza later, but we ain't getting no blinking cross. We ain't here for that. But that, but that so discouraged me and, and I remember hearing about the numbers of people that were saved. And then later on in the year, I, I, I got the report of how many were saved and then how many we could find in fellowship. And over 80% of those came to make professions in faith within less than a year without attending a church anymore. And my heart just broke. And I thought to myself, something, something. Where maybe, maybe we're reaching for the wrong thing. And I think sometimes when we revival meetings, and I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be truthful and honest. Times the, what we want, we want to see people walk an aisle and be saved. And brother, let me tell you, I do too. I do too. There, I, think, I think baptism ought to be up there with anything else. I, I, I know I've told you this before, but I celebrate the spiritual birthday of my kids. It's a big deal to me. And I like eating cake anyway, so it just goes hand in hand. But I celebrate that because I want to submit in their lives the reality that is the greatest decision, my friend, you will ever make. And the next greatest decision that you're ever going to make next to that is who you going to marry. Because I'm telling you, that, will, that, that can make you or it can break you. And I think about how, you know, if, if, if they're getting a new stripe on the belt, they're getting another stripe on the sleeve, they're getting rewarded for having an, an, a, you know, an A average or making some uh, thing at school honors night, man, the relatives come out of the woodwork for that. I mean, the 
people with the cutoffs and the wife beater on that night, it's, it's permissible. You ain't going to Cracker Barrel with him later, but he's there. They come out of the woodwork for that. But you couldn't tie that joker up and drag him to a church for baptism. And sometimes it's not the fact that he wants to be there. Sometimes we don't, we don't think it's that big a deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. I mean, it, it is a big deal. That is a picture of you dying to your sins and just as Christ came out of that grave and you're coming up out of that water, that is a picture of you identifying with the risen Savior. That's a big deal. And I love that. But that in and of as excellent and as great and as marvelous as that, that is, do you realize that is not revival? That is a resurrection. That is rebirth. And there is a difference in Scripture. There really is a difference in Scripture. Now, now in a revived people, those things happen because we are much more likely to share the gospel and for people to receive it and be saved. And make no mistake about it. If in two weeks from now, a hundred people get saved, I ain't complaining. That ain't not what this is about. But I'm telling you that revival is not for lost people. Revival is for God's people. That's who it's for. The psalmist here, this is about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They are crying out for revival. And, and, and just the word, the, the word where, that we have, revival, it means renewed life. It means uh, reinvigorating life, a freshness. Uh, I used the analogy this morning that you know, when you walk outside and you've planted the garden and it's, it's in July and, and the plant just looks like they're ready to give up, just wilting. What do you do? You realize, I need to water that plant. The plant's not dead, but the plant is dying. And, and it needs something. And see, God's people, we, we start dying. We start, uh, you know, we lose our, our, our boldness. We lose our spiritual awareness of, of what the mission is. And we get discouraged and we get demoralized. And that's why we need a, an awakening renewed spirit because sometimes we get weary in that work revivals don't last forever they're not supposed to they're supposed to come in reinvigorate the church so that the church can continue to accomplish the commission that God gave us which by the way has never been rescinded the great commission has never been rescinded it's still there. God is still as adamant about it as the day He gave it. That I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. The psalmist asked this question, Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Here's where I feel like I'm at. I feel like to a great degree, I'm living today on the blessing of yesterday. 
So many times in Christianity, that's what we do. We're, we're, we, have, we have to go and look back to find the strength to make it today. And the reality is, folks, we need to be looking forward to the promise and the blessing of God of what He will do so we can get out of the past and get in the present of where we're actually living. We talk too much about what God has done and far too less about what God is doing. And I want to tell you, God's doing some things. There still is a harvest. There is still a field widened to the harvest. The problem is still the same. Yes, there are a few laborers. But the reality is God is not dead. God's not stopped working. The Holy Spirit is still here, my friend. And He's still doing the job that He was given to do to convict us of our sin. And that is uh, the world, but also us as God's people. God is not managing a museum of antiques, my friend. God's not interested in doing that. Jesus is alive. We are alive in Jesus Christ. Uh, We're doing the same thing those first disciples did. We're preaching uh, this uh, gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is based on that resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing has changed with that respect. Nothing. I mean, how easy, if these things are not true, I mean, how easy would it have been to just kill the church in the first week? He ain't alive. Here he is. He's dead. He's not, he's dead. Don't you think, don't you think somebody thought of that? And said, hey, just go get the body. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem. Okay, well, somebody got it. Go find them. Threaten them enough. They'll produce the body. Well, see, that's the problem. He's over here eating with people. He's walking around. He's traveling. It's not that simple. Because the man is alive. And the same message we're still proclaiming today. Everything we talk about is based on that miracle. That's unlike any other religion in the world. We're not talking about, you know, if you give enough, you're going to get good fortune. So, so much of the rest of the world is just summed up in rabbit foot theology. That's all it is. Carry it in your pocket, man. And whenever you need something, you just take it out and make a wish. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it'll not. Maybe it's 50% of the time. Those are pretty good odds. Christianity is not that. It's based in this person that, of Jesus Christ that he was a dead man and he came alive and he walked out of a grave. And the church has been faithful to preach that message for nearly 2,000 years now. And yet, with that in mind, There are times that His people need to be refreshed and renewed. I think about the church at Ephesus. Jesus mentions that church. And He says in His summary of what's going on, He says, 
y'all your first love. You've left me. And he said, you need to return to your first love. Folks, that's revival. That's revival. Do you realize that at the time, <laughs> that at the time that was written, we're talking about like 50 years, uh, you know, 60 years since the resurrection. 60 years. <laughs> Do you know who were, were some of the pastors at Ephesus? And you think, you think Timothy was probably a pretty good pastor? Trained by Paul? I mean, he didn't graduate from Southern Seminary or anything, but I mean, he was trained by the Apostle Paul. You think John was a pretty good pastor? I think they, I think they had a pretty good, I don't know how many wall, I don't know on their wall in their church how many pictures of pastors they had, but I know that was two of them. And I don't know, man, but if you got John and Timothy as your pastor, that's pretty good. It's better what you got. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. And yet, they needed revival. They needed revival. They left their first love. What is revival? I don't think it's just decisions. I think it is a true sense of refreshness, fresh fire in your faith, fresh bold, being freshness, a freshness in the boldness that you have as a Christian. That is something that God does. Something that man cannot do. Who needs it? Well, revival is for God's people. Second Chronicles 7.14, and we use this verse a lot and sometimes we we use this verse to describe, you know, like America. And America's not Israel. We, we have a unique thing. I mean, we're unique in the sense that, that our founders, though they were imperfect, they understood that if you wanted to have a government that was composed of the people, that people had to be a moral people or it would be a disaster. And so in, in the writings of, of, of those founders, even though many of them were not uh, Christians in, in, the, in the sense of what we would recognize as a Christian, they understood that a moral religious people was necessary if you were to turn over the lever of power to their government to them. That if, you, that, if, that if you did not ask God, if you did not call upon God to, to really step into this process, you, you're ultimately going to give the power of government to people that could be just like the French. And that they kill the lawyers, they kill the priests, and it's just blood, 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 blood. Because there's no morality coupled with it. 
It's just a different set of tyrants. It's just a mobocracy. And our founders did not want that. But folks, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not about America. And I hear a lot of people thinking that it is. That, that scripture is not about America. That scripture is about Israel. And about when they walked away from God, if they would do a certain thing, God would rain down mercy on them. Now there is an application in that to us as the church. Because we are God's people. We are God's people. But our nation, our nation does not have some protected status in the eyes of God. God don't need America. I think we need to say that out loud. Because I think we think that God is lucky to have us. He don't need us. He does not need us. Hey, don't praise Jesus. Don't praise Jesus. Hey, if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to start praising me. God don't need us. God does not need our nation. There are blessings that have befallen us as a nation because of things that we have done, but we are not in a seated position of where God has called us out as He did the nation of Israel, and we have some protected status. That We're, we're not in there. Read the Bible. We're not in there. As a protected group, there's Israel, there's the church. In every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. I mean, when you get to heaven, there's this rainbow around the throne. It's not red, white, and blue. Those colors are in there, but it's not just us. And I want to tell you, and I say that to say this. I hear people today that, that I think they sincerely believe that God is ordaining some political figure to bring about revival in the nation and I don't see that going to happen man the revival is not for politicians not for political movements it's for the church of the living God and you're not there because you got a certain letter beside your name or you've given to a certain uh, pack or you belong to a certain party you're there because of the, the, the only reason you're there is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, Jesus and what He has said in His Word, it trumps everything else. Everything else. Second Chronicles is not about America. It's only about America in the sense of the, of, of the church in America. But it's also about every other nation. And he says, if you will do this, then I will do this. I will bring healing to them. I will bring mercy. I will grant peace. I will do these things. But it is to the church. It is to my people. Part of the work of the church is to expose darkness. Because we're the light. And the light is going to do that. You know, you turn, you know, you turn the light on and it, and it shows you everything in the room, all the clutter or whatever, you know, it's there. You don't, you know, you cut it off, you don't see it, but you, you cut the light on and you see all that, you know. It exposes that. Tells you, tells you what the, the real uh, shape of everything is. The church exposes darkness because we're the light. We're going to expose sin. We're going to expose the, the travesty of sin. 
But that's not our only job. We're not just to expose the darkness, and we're not just to curse the darkness. We're to do something about the darkness. And that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No other way. And and when we look in Scripture and we think about the shape of the affairs today, God says if you want healing to take place, we got to start with ourselves. And and, and if we go back to Psalm 85, I go back to that that, uh, verse uh, verse, uh, 8 there. I will hear. I will hear. I will hear what God, the Lord, will speak. For He will speak peace to His people, to His saints, and let them not turn back to folly. In other words, understand what got you here. Understand what's going to get you out of here. And don't go back to it. See, that is revival. That is revival. That is God petitioning the church to get right with Him. And here's here's where, in in my opinion, what I believe when I look at Scripture, this is what hinders revival. In the big picture and in the small picture and in the very microcosm of my heart, this is what hinders revival. We want it. We talk about it. There's a sense that, well, that's for somebody else because I'm, I'm okay. And I just, I'm, I, I'm, I like it here. I'm good. I love you, Lord. I give. I tithe. I, I do what's right, at least most of the time. And, you know, I, I'm a good person, Lord. And I sincerely love you. I'm not making fun of that. But I am I'm comfortable here. And God, there's a lot of other people that are not where I'm at. And if we can just get those people to where I'm at, then we'll all go together to the next thing. That that ain't how revival works. That ain't how the Holy Spirit works. This in verse 8 is where the problem lies. We hear, but we don't act. This is what I believe revival is really all about when you just get down at the granular level in people's hearts. Revival is when the Holy Spirit puts His finger on my life, on my heart, in your life, in your heart. He puts His finger on something. And He says, that, that needs to go. That thought that action, that way of thinking, that bitterness, that needs to go. And we say, maybe someday. Maybe someday. We're just not serious. Because God makes us uncomfortable. I was uh, I was really having a good time last night at seven o'clock. I had the smoker going and the 
just the just the wafting smell of burgers, hot dogs, chicken, and just watching the Georgia Bulldogs score on every possession. Drinking a Coke Zero. The cool of the day, I mean, it was fabulous. And we later brought all that into the house, and we sat in the living room, and we watched the game. And after a while, the game just kind of got out of hand. There was nothing to report. It was the same thing. They snapped the ball, they scored a touchdown. Snap the ball, score 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 a touchdown. And so after a while, the sideline reporters, they just, they're just trying to come up with something to keep people interested. So they start walking the dog along the sidelines. And the players are not worried about what the coaches say. They're just down there, hey, y'all, do Never before ever seen anything like that. The dog's just going down the sideline. The player's not, not huddling, don't know what's going on, just playing with the dog. And then the sideline reporter, Molly, I can't, I don't remember her last name, but Molly comes on there with the microphone. And Molly starts talking about the running back for the University of Kentucky. His name is Ray Davis. And she says, you know, Ray Davis has not had the night tonight that he did last week, but he's, he's a great athlete. And Ray Davis... Um, when he was a boy, his, his parents were incarcerated. He spent his whole life in foster care. He was homeless as a 12-year-old. And at 18, he had no idea what his future would look like. And this is the reporter on ESPN. She says, and he says that all of his life, he thought about, why is this happening to me, God? Why is this happening to me? God, why is this happening to me? And she said, and finally Ray just began to say, God, I know you've got a plan in all of this, and somehow, God, this is going to make me better. And he just, he just, I mean, this is the reporter, the ESPN reporter. This is what is going on at the game. This is what she's saying. And that, and that God not only uh, has brought him to this level, but his dad no longer incarcerated, is here at the game with them. They have a great relationship. She just on live television talked about the power of God, man. The goodness of God. The restoring nature of God. Everything we're talking about here in Psalm 85 of how God takes that rotten situation and, and when you feel like giving up, you're demoralized, you think you have no future, here he is just saying, you know what, God, I could ask why. I don't really know, but I know, Lord, that your word says you're a loving God and you're a faithful God and I believe that and I'm just going to take that piece of truth and I'm just going to plant a flag in it, God, and choose to live my life on that. And God did a great work in that man's life and in his family's life. And in the midst of, of, a, of a culture when the church is not meeting on Sunday night, God says, you know, I just think, I think somebody needs to hear about this. So I'm going to get a bunch of reprobates on ESPN to broadcast it over the television ways to millions of people. That's, that's how God works. We're, God is at work in our culture today. God needs to be preeminent and priority in our life. And fundamentally, when God comes and He says, this needs to go, 
We say, God, I agree with you, but I, I can't do that right now. And revival won't come. It won't come to you. And see, here's the thing. That happens in one person's life and another person's life and another person's life, and we're gathered in a place like this, you know what happens? That contagious aspect of just being completely submitted to the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens, man? It spreads like a wildfire. And it's contagious. And it leads to other things. But it will and only begin with the people of God. I heard someone say the other day, you know, hey, I don't I love God, God loves me. I don't need church. I don't want to go to church. And you realize that you can be married to somebody and not ever go home. You realize that? I want you to ask yourself a question. How good of a marriage are you going to have? If when you said I do to your spouse and, you know, the two become one, but you still got all of this other baggage that you're hanging on to over here, so when you get off work, you don't go home, you go hang out with the guys. Or when you get off work, you don't come home, you go hang out with the gals. And you're still living like you did in high school, and you still got your groupies, and that's what's most important to you, and you can't let go of that. I want you to ask yourself, how good of a marriage are you going to have? you won't have a very good one. And I know no Christian, and I know no professing believer that has ever come to me and told me they don't need the church. I have never seen that person have a vibrant power of God on their life. Never. Never. If we want revival, there are some things that we will have to do. We have to humble ourselves. We have to have some self-awareness and look at our life and say, God, what needs to change in my life? And by, you know, as a whole today, I mean just taking a snapshot across America today, we, we forsake the assembling of ourselves so much. Um, across the ocean over there in where our friends over there in Europe are, Scotland has the highest rate of church attendance than anywhere else in the entire European Union. Scotland does. And that rate is, is 9% of the people attend church at least once a month. 9%. That, the, the rest of the European Union is like 2 point something percent. But Scotland is, they're at 9 do you realize in America, do you realize that in America, despite all of our issues going on, over 30% of people in America still attend church once a month. Now, don't get me wrong, once a month probably ain't cutting it, obviously. But, if you were to look across the way, you, you're going to find some things that have happened as a result of that. 
And if you were to ride through the streets of London, a place where the gospel was very vibrant at one point, you'd find churches that are now museums. You'd find churches that are now nightclubs. You would find churches that are now homes. You'd find churches that are just warehouses. That's what you find. Great cathedrals of the past are now just antiques, relics of a time that has passed them by. We, we're not exempt from that. And I don't know what other people are doing, but I know what we can do. We can follow the Scriptures. We can humble ourselves. We can cry out to God in earnest for revival. And when the Holy Spirit puts His finger on us and says, this needs to go, this needs to change, you need to do this, We hear it, and we obey it, and we don't turn back to our Father. Do things need to change? We'd all raise our hand and say, yeah, things need to change. Then let them change. Let them begin with us. No man is going to bring revival. No matter how big the name, big the resume, big the platform, big the organization, or the personality. Man cannot bring revival. But the method in Scripture is when God's people humble themselves and in sincerity and truth they cry out to God and say, Lord, God, change me. Work in my life. Scripture says revival happens. I don't want to live on what happened. I want to live on what is happening and what's going to happen. I want to be looking that way. My eyes focused on what's going on presently and my eyes focused on what's going to take place because of the promises of God. Grateful for what has happened. But I want to see it happening now. May God humble us to want it, to receive it, to be willing to do what is required to experience that fresh awakening of God. I'll just close with this. We've probably heard of George Whitfield and the impact that he had in something called the, the Campus Lang Revival in Scotland. That movement actually, though, was started by a man named William McCulloch. Not a popular guy. Just an obscure parish minister. His own son wrote of him, he was not a very ready speaker. His manner was slow and cautious. Very different from that of popular orators. Popular orators. God doesn't need Charisma, he doesn't need popularity. He needs humility and availability. May God make us those two things, available and humble. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for those promises.
God, give us in our spirit a desire for revival. That God, it would change me. That it would start with me. That I'd review. I'd look inward. Give us self-awareness. Give us humility, Lord. Help us to come clean. Have your way in every heart, I pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Number 320, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As we stand this morning to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And as we do that spiritually in our hearts, should you need to come this morning for any reason, would you respond in obedient faith? Turn. Uh-huh.